0: Hello and welcome to episode 252 of the Random Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. I'm Angel. And I'm Kevin. And you would think it would be easy to do a title for this episode when the big game we're sharing impressions of is Monster Hunter Rise. I mean, like, Rise has so many puns and whatnot, and yet we don't have a good title. I feel like this was like we settled for, like, the worst thing that we could just think of, which is Rise to the Occasion, which I guess, is it a good game? I guess it works. Yeah. Does it Rise to the Occasion? Okay. Oh, you're asking Here we go. Us. Yeah, I, I, I haven't played it. Is it a good game? Like, I thought it was a rhetorical question
1: that you were just like
0: living up in the air. Oh, well, it can be. We'll go with that. and we'll find we, People will find out shortly if it's a good game because you guys do have your impressions of Monster Hunter Rise um, in this episode. And we're also going to be discussing uh, two other games that I guess now I think about kind of rose to the occasion in ways that maybe we didn't expect. Uh, Knockout City. I tried the crossplay beta last weekend. It's actually pretty fun and I'll explain why. And uh, this week's surprise release of Pac-Man 99 that came out of nowhere. Uh, plus, we're going to have some news to discuss. Well, not really news. We're going to be discussing when we'll be discussing news because it looks like our sum- the summer plans are coming together for the industry. So we'll be talk- touching on that a little um, and whatever other news may come up along the way. So timestamps are on the blog post for this episode. If you're on YouTube, they're under the video. But let's jump right into the game that made our episode name so lame, which is Monster Hunter Rise. Angel, Kevin, you've both been playing it. Um, how was it?
2: Oh, wow. Already? Um, Sure. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, it's great. What else would we be talking about?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Wait, you, you're asking? Go ahead. Um, no, but... No, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's been great so far. Um, it, it's pretty much... I mean, I don't know. Monster Hunter, at least I, in my case, since I've mostly kept up with the franchise, I played Monster Hunter, Tri, or Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate on the Wii U. I played a ton of Monster Hunter 4 on the 3DS... I dabbled on Monster Hunter Generations on the 3DS, but that was around the time when I started to, I guess, veer off of it. I think I just started, I just needed a break. So I skipped out on the Switch port of it. I think it was Generations Ultimate or Generations something. And then, you know, there was obviously World, which I thought I was going to get really into. But the timing of its release, even though I got it day one, which I really regret because, you know, I ended up not playing it. I think it came out around the same time as God of War and I was still really deep into Smash Bros. so there was no way I was gonna to get to it. But, taking that long hiatus made me really hyped for this game and I'm like enjoying every bit of it. Um, I forgot how much they streamlined, like from the last time I played Monster Hunter. And a lot of it won't be obvious if you haven't played a lot of the previous franchise, uh, some of the previous games, because the game still feels pretty dense, at least as far as like, you know, just mat- navigating the menus, or just a lot of the minute, or I guess the intricacies of, I guess crafting for lack of a better term, and collecting resources and building weapons. Like a quick example is that uh, in four and try or three ultimate, um, you would have to literally purchase pickaxes. There were different types of pickaxes. There were like a weak, a medium, and a strong one. I don't remember the exact names, but you know, the more expensive it is, the longer it lasts. And you would have to find certain stones around the world as you're exploring. And you would hit you would find these stones, press A to interact with it when you have a pickaxe. And you would get an item, repeat multiple times until you exhaust either the the stone that you're mining or the pickaxe breaks. Nowadays, you don't have to craft or create a pickaxe, you just always have one. And when you find these stones, you just have to hit it once and you get literally everything you would possibly get from that stone at the same time. So it's like a one undone and there's no need to manage pickaxes. Same thing goes for collecting insects. Before you would have to craft a bug net using like a spider web and a twig. Now you just press A when you're near one and grab them. Like there's no even net animation.
0: It's just like... So it did the opposite of Animal Crossing, essentially?
2: Yeah, they're just like... People just want to get to... I think the it almost feels like the thesis is like let's just get the people hunting as soon as possible and Mm. on one hand like there's some things that are really great there's other little tiny things that i kind of miss like um a big example is like well one of the biggest obviously best changes that i know within world but you know not since uh, last time i played one of these is that the whole map is one giant interconnected world um there are no load times in it you just Traverse the whole thing. There's still numbers to kind of give you an idea of. You're playing with friends. You could be like, "Oh, I'm in area five Even though you could see them, there's like really? little tiny arrows pointing in the direction where your friends are and where they're facing. But now, from the very beginning, as soon as you start your quest, there will be question marks around the map showing you where the monsters are. And yeah, that's great. Like it just tells you, like, "All right, I'm just gonna go here." Until you've encountered a monster once they're going to appear as question marks. So you may not know exactly where, which of the question marks it is on the map, but you know, you're going to encounter something really quickly. And I mean, in the past that just wasn't even a thing. You would literally have to like blindly go around the map until you know, like, all right, it's usually in these Mm -hmm. areas you'd go there. It may or may not be there. And once it is there, then, you know, it gets a little dot um, when you're encountering it. But the thing is, once it, Runs away from you, you lose the dot, and if you do, and if you didn't pay attention to what direction it went flying, then you may have to hunt for it all over again. And they had these things called paintballs or paint markers that you would throw on the mar- on the monster, and then it would stay highlighted on your map. So that's completely gone because you know, if I already hunted a monster before, it's always gonna tell me where it is no matter what. So it I don't know it kills a, I would say it kills like maybe two percent of the immersion because you know there's less hunting now and more so just uh, I guess it is still hunt. you know, you're going to the target and eliminating it, but they're, they definitely got rid of any of the finding the monster game part of it. Although you could argue that, you know, that was probably not as important. I think the sacrifice was definitely balanced out with just making the gameplay way more fun than before. So... It was a loss, but not that as big of a loss as I'm making it It, it almost sounds like
0: a mainstreamification of the franchise a little. Because, I mean, this yeah, is a franchise and- that, like, it's now the second biggest for Capcom behind Resident Evil, I believe. Like, it's like 70 million copies sold. So I think they're, I wonder if they're looking like, all right, well, how do we get the biggest Japan, all the people that would want it, want it? How do we get people that don't want it to want it? And that this might be how.
2: Yeah, because, I mean, mean? Cause- yeah, and, and all of that yeah. definitely helps. Like, another thing that they've, Slowly been improving upon. Like, one thing that's great about these games is that they always, everything they've implemented stacks on top of each other. Like, they rarely get rid of features. The only one I could think of off the top of my head is swimming, which was in Monster Hunter 3 Ultimate and try. And then, you know, I had underwater battles, blah, blah, blah. People overall, I them. I thought they were okay. Like, you know, swimming is swimming in video games. Um, I didn't think it was terrible, but. I could see why some people could find it annoying because, you know, now you have oxygen as a resource you have to manage. And, yeah, like, we keep hammering home. Like, this is just about streamlining the fighting as much as possible. And, yeah, so that's the only thing that didn't come back. But, like, in 4, they introduced pretty much, like, running up, like, climbable walls. In the path you would have to slowly climb them. You could jump as you're climbing. It was literally Breath of the Wild climbing. Exactly as it is there. It was here. I mean, in Monster Hunter 3 mm-hmm. and 4 except that you could only do it in certain spots. In Generations and Four, and I think in World, they made it so you could practically run up these walls, jump off of them, but it was still in designated areas. And Rise, you could tell, definitely took a page from Breath of the Wild and just said, you know what? You could do this anywhere as long as you have stamina. So if you use the new wire bugs and launch yourself towards the wall, you could run, like literally run up the wall until you run out of stamina. And as soon as they run out of stamina, you'll do a backflip off the wall. And if you have another wire bug, you go launch yourself up even higher. And during that time that you're being launched, you'll regain some stamina back, allowing you to run up even higher. Or you can use the wire bugs as well to hang in place to re- to gain the stamina all the way back and continue running. And as you're running, the wire bug meter will refill, essentially letting you climb almost anything. It makes like the Breath of the Wild, like traversals, traversing, yeah, Traversing and Breath of the Wild feel very slow by comparison now. I mean, and that's not even factoring in the fact that you have your Palamu or, your, you know, your dog pal, which can also run up walls. Well, they run up most walls that have, you know, the indicator that is a climbable wall. Otherwise, if it's not too high, they'll climb up the ledge. But if it is too high, they'll kind of just, like, jump off of it immediately. But, you know, you could bust a Super Mario World with the dogs. You could... If you're off a of like giant cliff, I mean, if you're on top of a giant cliff or mountain, you could get a running start, jump off with your dog, and then jump off of your dog to get more distance, and then wirebug across, and then hang in place, do an aerial dash, then do another wirebug, then hang in place, and then do another aerial dash. I mean, essentially I, moving I like around is really super
0: Mario worlding. <laughs> yeah, the only treat thing I can think of like off top of my head where you yeah. jump
2: off your horse to get extra air, but. I mean, just so already you can see that there's already just so much, uh, so many ways to move around. I don't know, and it's really fun. Just running around with your dog, just a great sense of speed that you never had before. You could never move around the world this fast. And I can only imagine how this is going to get stacked on top of later. And I keep saying this, but that's not even mentioning the fact that there are dozens of weapons you can pick from. I don't know exactly how many. I'm going to guess over twelve. There's probably more, maybe at least 12. But each one plays pretty different from the last. Some of them ranging from basic as far as how many different moves you can do to it's going to take you months to figure it out, let alone master it. And typically I always like to play with the dual blades, you know, just dual handed swords, just because they're the closest thing you have to just attacking very quickly without having to worry about the actual time it takes to... Charge an attack, pick it up, swing it, because a lot of these weapons can be extremely slow and have like incredibly long, you know, hit delays and recovery times. And yeah, they deal a lot of damage, but they're definitely not for everybody. And back before there were dual blades and the insect blades, which was which is what I'm currently using, most of these weapons just didn't appeal to me. And maybe that's why I just didn't the game didn't click, but when they introduced the dual blades in Ultimate, Like, I freaking loved it, and they were just really fun to use, and now I'm using the insect glaive, which is basically I'm fighting with a pole that has an insect attached to it, and instead of, you know, just charging up something sharp and attacking the monster with it or using a hammer, this one's all about pole vaulting off the ground, pogo hopping off the monster while attacking it, and you also have, like, a bug friend that you could send out to attack certain parts of the body of the monster to gather these nectars that come in red, white, and orange which either you know they'll increase your overall speed increase your attack power or they'll make it i forgot what the last one did actually but you know if you have red and orange you are immune to i know if you have white and orange you're immune to the animal roars if you have red and all of them combined you can you know do crazy attacks you can only do with your insect in combination with them i don't know it's it's nuts and, you know, it only gets more fun when you incorporate just playing with other people. And, you know, they mm-hmm. also have their own cooking thing. And I didn't even talk about customization. So, I don't know. That's There's a lot to this game. Let me just put it way. There's a whole ton. And, god, I didn't even mention how many puns there are. Specifically cat puns. Because cats kind of run half of the town. Your cooks are cats. Some weapon stuff is handled by cats. And... I mean, they pretty much insert "meow" or "kitten" or I don't know any version of the cat name into their vocabulary. The dogs don't talk, though. I don't know. I guess cats are the only ones that have mastered the linguistics. Wait,
0: Angel, you mean to tell me we were struggling with a pun for "rise" and we had a whole arsenal of cat puns sitting there that we could have used for the episode?
1: Really? They're they're all terrible. Like,
0: yeah, they're, similar, are one they're one really in, in. So a lot of them don't
2: work.
0: <laughs> I mean, a lot of them don't
2: work just because they're literally just forcing the word kitten or perfect or meow. Uh, uh,
0: like, I mean, but, we you we know, forced some puns before,
2: but because they're cats, like I don't know. I just, I mean, at least I, I enjoy reading it just because it feels like oh, it's just a cat just not knowing how to English properly. But um, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, obviously, yeah, you can customize the character, make him look like literally however you want um i typically don't spend too much time in character creators so i kind of just made a character that looked like samus you know really long blonde ponytail i was pretty satisfied with that i mean you're going to be wearing a lot of armor you craft based on the enemies on the animals you kill well, the monsters you kill so most of the cosmetics may or may not even you know be visible except maybe the face depending on what armor you use but that's essentially the gameplay loop go hunt monster Get materials from monster to craft stronger weapons and armor. Use stronger weapons and armor to kill stronger monsters. Rinse and repeat until, you know, you fight city-sized monster that requires the help of everybody. Oh, that's right. They even have a new mode called, um I guess it's the Rampage. This is definitely new to this game, and it's kind of nuts. Like, you have to fight so many monsters at the same time. It's almost a miracle that the Switch can even run this. And it almost, it also makes it even more perplexing that this is something that they put on the Switch game and not like on the PS4, like back when World came out. But you know, it works well. It's basically tower defense. You could put up turrets and automated cannons, or you could set some up that have to be manned by you. You have to keep the monsters from destroying your, your barriers before they break into the city. You don't exactly have to kill them. You can if you really think you, I don't know if you think you're good enough, but. After a couple of hits, they usually just run away. But there are certain animals that specifically target only your weapons. There's animals or monsters that specifically only target, you know, the hunters themselves. So if you're trying to, you know, protect, or if you're trying to defeat another monster, another monster might just be going after you. Another will just ignore you and just straight up go for the wall. So um, there's a lot to manage. Definitely, everything is just better with more people, or with people in general. But I'm sure people can have some fun with it on their own. But
0: no, I mean, even Kevin, joining multiplayer you, is easy. But yeah. Kevin, are you playing multiplayer or single player with your copy of
1: I'm those? doing single player and I think uh it might be a detriment to this game.
2: Well, I don't know how you're mm. how are you playing it, Angel. Um exclusively with at least Elvis or most of the time it's just my brother and I, but I would say a, a little more than a little less than half the time. Um we'll have my brother in law joining in. We usually have like Two to four people. It's always two to four people.
1: Okay, gotcha. Yeah, yeah I'm playing this single player and I am miserable. Really? And, yeah. Um, one of the very first like level one quests that you get in the game is to defeat an agnosum. I believe that's that's how you say it. It's just like a bird. Um, and they give you 50 minutes to complete it. It took me 49 minutes and 30 seconds to complete it. <laughs> wow, I went man. down to the wire. The amount of times that that bird would just hop up and leave to a different area of the map. And the amount <laughs> of times that the cat would tell me, Oh, it's tired. It's almost down. And I still had like 15 minutes to go before it would actually go down. Oh, I was going insane. I, I, I would have cried if I didn't finish that, that quest and, but I just finished yeah. it 30 with 30 seconds to spare.
2: It makes, yeah, hunting with other people makes a huge difference. Cause even if, I'm pretty sure the difficulty that monster scales is how many people are in there. But like when we did that mission in particular, I don't think it took us more than fifteen minutes to just kill it with between me and others. Oh my god. Maybe 20. <laughs> and then, and then after like Christ. and then after upgrading some armor, like I was able to kill that bird on my own in like five minutes. But um Oh my just... god What is... <laughs>
1: I, so, <laughs> I, of, so just, I at that
2: point, I had practiced a lot with the weapon. Like, I was in that training room area, just trying to figure, like, all right, what are my best combos? What's the way most I could do damage? And, you know, you have your traps, and you also have to make sure you keep, you know, sharpening your tools, which can get annoying. But in the past, that was a tool that you'd have to make sure you carry whetstones, because if you run out of whetstones, then your weapon becomes stolen, you can't even damage the monster. But now it's just an infinite resource. And if you jump on your dog, you could run around and dodge mm-hmm. the monster while you're sharpening your tool, or heal yourself for that matter,
0: or eat a would it, what is kind of funny is you know you're talking about Angel like how fluid everything is and how much quicker it feels, and then kind of just like nope, it's still <laughs> taking me all fifty minutes, <laughs> like, which mean, also, depends, too, like, like which I think would be Like I remember I try try with you and it's just like nope. <laughs> I mean
2: I feel like some weapons are like way harder to use like in single player just because sometimes you need the monster distracted by other people to even get decent hits with like they the big the great sword or oh
1: no i was sword. using the dual blades
0: oh damn uh i was using the dual blades and it took me <laughs> I, he was giving minutes. you an out kevin he was letting you save face <laughs>
1: nope i'm not gonna let this g- um so here's the deal did you, this did you do my, the
2: the attack on titan let levi move where he i guess spins around like a sonic the hedgehog all over the yeah it is here.
1: it is pretty cool and, and that but usually i just do that i, I don't do that with the wire buck i just do it with my uh palamute mm. um, oh you just jump off him yeah, just jump off of them. Uh, so, here's the deal. This is my second Monster Hunter game. The first one that I played was Monster Hunter World, and I barely touched that game, too, just because it was another situation where, oh, uh, no one's going to play with me. Because um, I got it on PC, because I thought, oh, you know, PC's going to be where it's going to look the best, where it's going to run the best. And then your brother decided to get it on PS4. Regardless. <laughs> um, so, I barely touched that game. And so, with this game... I do see, or I I do hear how they streamlined it, and for most of it, I I don't ever feel confused by uh by its mechanics. Uh, maybe a little overwhelmed by just the amount of stuff that there
2: is to do. Like right off the think, bat, there's it's a like, shortcut. It's ridiculous. It's like holy yeah. hell, and then you have like the little spinny thing on the bottom with the right stick. I like, got mm-hmm. activated items by accident so many times. Oh yeah, and then I have I have
1: huge issues with this game's control scheme, um, but that's neither here or there. Uh, no, it is because like I keep hitting Y, because in my mind Y is like wired to be the attack button in so many games. Like that's how you attack oh, in Hades. Yeah, that's like how you attack in I don't know, like Devil May Cry. And here it's X and A, and then the Y is like your item button. And the amount of times that I accidentally scarf down potions
2: when I don't <laughs> need to is insane. I haven't checked this, but I'm pretty sure you could change or remap all the buttons to be however you want.
1: I don't think you can. I, I looked into the You know what you the, could do, Kevin? I looked it's into like, the menu. I don't want pain. to do the system. I don't want to do it on the, the system menu change. Nope. And nope. just change it after every session. Nope. Nintendo should just <laughs> okay. uh, do a whole system change where, you know, they... Play along like everybody else. I mean, theoretically, We're... if you do the system mapping, you can play along. No, I want them to physically change the buttons, but we've been over this
2: many yes. times. Yes, um, <laughs>
0: I
1: have when played. Do you
2: usually play the game though, but because yeah, like I know, like we don't play on a regular basis that it makes it easy. Like oh yeah, hey, just jump on. It's just more like oh, I have thirty minutes. I'll do like a few hunts with all this, and then we just kind of stop. But yeah, it's we should try it's... to hunt together for sure. At the very least, you no, can get yeah, some because... enjoyment out of it before, I feel like, you completely move on. Yeah, because
1: that Ignosum that battle, like, <laughs> as I was playing it, I was like, maybe this game isn't for me, because either I'm doing something wrong, or no, I absolutely am doing something wrong, which is playing single player, apparently. <laughs> because that battle took me 50 minutes to play. I was starting to get worried, like, maybe this game just isn't for me. Uh, which is weird because I've played and have enjoyed so many Monster Hunter knockoffs. On the PSP, I played this game called God Eater. And then on Vita, I played its sequel, God Eater 2. And Isn't then that... there's a game called Freedom Wars. Isn't and that then also by Capcom? a game called Capcom? Soul Sacrifice. Which one? God Eater. No, God Eater is Bandai Namco.
0: That's right. Okay. I was thinking of God Eater, yeah. I think. That might be good. Namco Banco? Does that have anything?
1: Did I just make something up? <laughs> Namco Banco, yeah. Namco. Um, and so I've enjoyed those Maybe because those have a little more anime spin as opposed to uh, this, I guess. <laughs> Whatever this is. What would you give it? Whatever this is. I, I guess just like fantasy. Yeah,
2: it's weird. Yeah. It, it feels like, yeah, like Final Fantasy-ish. I feel like character design-wise. Yeah. I, I not,
1: really do like how... Very, very how, how much of world people. did you play, Angel? Oof.
2: I think I just played like the intro mission where you have to fight or you're like climbing on top of that giant monster. Yeah. Definitely okay, less than an so, hour.
1: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like, like 30 that minutes. town, that main hub area was so confusing oh, to get around. Oh God! Yeah, I do it remember. I need the hub area. Yeah, and so like it's very simplified here, which I which I greatly enjoyed. I, I, honestly, half the reason that I stopped playing Monster Hunter World was because I could not navigate the hub area. <laughs> it was so it confusing like a to be
2: like, oh, I need to make weapons. Like, oh, where? What floor do I go to again? Like exactly. I do like that. No matter whether you're in the main hub area, like you know the open air town. You know, you have your... You could go eat there. You could craft weapons there. But if you go into, like, that, I guess, area where you could get quests for multiplayer quests or whatever, you can also eat there and also craft weapons there. Like, they have, you know, the same things in multiple places, so... Yeah, exactly. You don't really have to go far, so that was pretty nice. Yeah. Uh. But I think, yeah,
1: maybe I just have to play this game multiplayer, either with just some randoms or, or with you and uh Elvis, but, because... Maybe even Yeah, playing this game... Playing this game single player just isn't it, and yeah, it was. It was starting to that that battle really was starting to get to me. I have done a couple of quests. <laughs> I bet since fifty
2: then. minutes for just fighting one monster, like or fighting cool one monster that one kept early running monster, around. From what I gathered. It,
1: it it wasn't even in the same spot. It kept moving around, and it was oh, it was so frustrating. And then there's little gripes that I have with the game. For instance. If you hit Y, you don't necessarily, like, drink your potion. You have to sheathe your weapon and then drink. Like, you can't just run uh by pressing the run button. You have to sheathe your weapon and then run. Uh Why yeah, not just sheathe you, you my can... weapon and, uh, like, do it all in one fell swoop? Um But maybe I'm just yeah, yeah. too spoiled by it, it, other it, games that do that kind of things.
2: Yeah. I mean, I guess that's one thing that, has always, it feels like they're, like, now we're keeping this this way because, like, they're very... The dual blade is like the only one that, you know, once you, you pretty much want to have something, I'm pretty sure you had that, something called Mega Dash Juice or Dash Juice. Nope. <laughs> uh, because the dual blades like are all about like keeping your stamina up. And if you have something mm-hmm. called Mega Dash Juice, it pretty much gives you infinite stamina for like a set amount of time. Okay. And and with the dual blade, like you could enter like this demon mode. And that pretty much gives you like an infinite dash. If you have the mega dash, you then it lets you pretty much like run circles around the monster just like flashing them everywhere. Wait,
1: so is the dual Blades the only one that has that demon mode? Because I was wondering what that was every single time that I. I know that whenever I go into that demon mode, my stamina decreases, but I was like, uh, sure, I'll just go with it. And you know, my. I hit in a couple more attacks than usual just by pressing uh... uh, X, but. Oh, yeah, they, they I just do a bunch of crazy that.
2: swipes and, and pressing like X and A will do like a flurry of attacks. But um okay, yeah, that's why you that's always want to have make that... a dash juice. And that was, right. that probably would have helped um, you know, just deal more damage a lot quicker to the the bird Ignosum. to kill it the, sooner that that, that GD <laughs> the bird. umbrella bird. The yeah. the little animations they show in story mode. I mean also I just love seeing like the monsters animate, like I don't know, some of them are really creative. They I like that they're not just all dragons in this one. Especially if you look at some later, there's like this very big fat kappa. There's this creepy looking bear monster that like creates like ice swords. I don't know. Sometimes you feel sorry for them when like they're getting a really bad beating. But no, a job is a job. Gotta kill nature.
1: Monster monster writing is kind of weird. It is. It's cool, but it's... A little finicky to control. Like, the fact that you have to hold a button to move them... To move, yeah. Is very, very, very
2: strange. It's very awkward. Yeah, usually as soon as I ride one... Like, you know, if there isn't another monster near there, I'll just immediately press B or whichever button it is to have him ram a wall, and then... I think it's Y. Then you press B to, like, regain balance, and then just immediately ram another wall. But... Yeah, Yeah, some of these monsters get crazy mobility. Like, when you get to the Magnomala, or maybe we'll do a hunt with you with that one. Jesus, that thing is, like, jumps all over the battlefield and does, like, that M. Bison thing from Street Fighter where he, like, flies through the stage like a Superman and, like, I don't know, could get across the stage in, like, the blink of an eye. And could just, like, one-shot you if you're not careful. But, yeah.
1: Also, I feel like I've been spoiled by Lock-On because these games do not have Lock-On.
2: There is kind of a lock on.
1: I'm constantly whiffing my
2: my attacks. Like if you press um, oh, I see what you mean. Yeah, like you could lock the camera onto the monster. Like if you when you encounter the monster, you could click. I think it's L three or R three, and and it'll put a reticle on top of the monster and your icon in the top right. And then every time you tap L, it'll just reorient the camera to wherever the monster is. So it's not a consistent lock on because you have to keep tapping L. But, you know, if you're, like, facing the opposite direction, you get a tap bell, and they'll immediately flip you over.
1: Yeah, but, uh, I think my lock-on, I think, is more of a, like, a Kingdom Hearts lock-on, where I lock-on yeah. an enemy, and I am following that enemy no matter what. And when I move forward, I am moving towards that enemy, as opposed to if... Uh, any direction I'm lo- Yeah, any direction, exactly. Because I am yeah. constantly whiffing my my attacks. And, <laughs> yeah. and I was like, normal "Huh, this is Monster Hunter, then? Huh, interesting." And that, and that's why it's little things like that that make me think, like, "Huh, maybe this series just isn't for me. Uh, maybe I should go back to my regular JRPGs." But I mean, maybe a multiplayer round or two will will uh, change my change my thoughts. But yeah.
0: I'm just glad that Angel eventually offered to let you play with him because that's weird. As if someone was listening to this and it's like Angel's like, Yeah, I play with my brother, and like I have all these multiplayer groups and then his co-host Kevin is like, I have no one and just it's never addressed. <laughs> like I'm glad Angel pulled through and offered for you. <laughs> but um Kevin, yeah, how we'll see. More how are you playing it, Kevin? I only ask because you sent us that screenshot or that photo the other day of that weird little clip for your pro controller. Are you playing this on your TV or using that crazy little what is that thing actually?
1: So it's a clip. So when back, what generation was it? Was it the PS3 and Xbox 360 generation? Or was it, no, it was the PS4 and Xbox One generation where second screen experiences were supposed to be the thing. Yeah. Uh, similar yeah. to the, to the Wii U when like you have your controller and then you put a clip on it and then you'll, uh, attach your phone to like the top of the clip. That way you always have like a, you know, your map on your phone and mm-hmm. you, all you gotta do is just look down at your controller and there you got an entire map. So somebody, and I wish I had the name of the clip, uh, but I threw away the box, made that essentially for the Switch Pro controller and the Switch screen. Hmm. As I have detailed plenty of times, the Joy-Con <laughs> ergonomics are terabad. So, uh, last episode, I talked about my hoary split splat splurrow. Um, <laughs> I think you added and, a couple extra
0: syllables there this time. Splurrow.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I, I got those targeted ads on Instagram and man, do they work? Do they ever work? Because targeted I got an everything. Yeah. I
2: got,
1: I got this thing. I was like, huh, it's on Amazon. Let me just, let me just see what. And it was like, I think it was like $15. Got to me next day. Perfect time for for Monster Hunter, and so yeah, it just clips uh, on the top and bottom of, of the uh, pro controller, leaves enough space for the uh, USB C port, the that like reset button and whatever that tiny little I think it's like an infrared sensor of some sort, right? Right next to the USB C port. The
2: headphone? Uh, I want to say yes.
1: Well, regardless, it gives you enough space for that, and then uh, interestingly enough, the. Switch screen doesn't clip onto it. It actually just slides in where you would slide the joy cons. So you can adjust how, uh, how low you want the screen, how, how high up you want the screen. You can extend the screen forward so that it looks like you are basically, uh, so basically the entire screen is covering your hands and the controller, or you can just have it. So that's resting right above uh, the controller, that kind of thing. Um, it's really cool. It's really versatile. The only thing that's very difficult about it is all the added weight of the screen. Mm. And mm-hmm. it's hard to pinpoint a sweet spot, whether I have the screen like covering pretty much the entire controller. So I'm literally only looking at a screen. Um, you know, you got all that weight hanging towards you or if you put it right above the controller, you have all that weight at the top. Pretty much kind of like weighing the controller down. Um, so that's gotten a little difficult to get used to. I might and it got to the point where it's was like, oh well, maybe this isn't the way that I should be playing Monster Hunter. So I went back to the Split Path Pro uh, <laughs> by Hori and my right hand keeps sleeping.
0: It keeps falling asleep for whatever reason. That happened in the just that- uh, 3DS XL all the time if i played more than half an hour
1: yeah uh, oh yeah and i played for 20 minutes more than that as i have explained countless <laughs> times in this episode <laughs> yep so my hand kept falling asleep so i'm gonna have to give this thing another another shot uh i've always talked about how i think the switch pro controller is probably the best feeling controller of all time um well up until the dual sense uh, the the ps5 controller um so I've always loved the ergonomics on the Pro. The ergonomics on the Hori are much better than the DualSense, but it's not perfect. But yeah, it's like I'm still caught in this weird this weird like cycle of needing to find a perfect uh companion for handheld play cuz I just can't seem to find it no matter what it is. So it, It's like you
0: at the chairs on Quarantine Chronicles.
1: Yeah, and guess and guess what? I here's an update. If you guys listen to Quarantine Chronicles, (laughs) that feature that I wanted on my chair, I don't ever use. So I was looking for that feature in a chair for years. I get a chair that has that feature, never use the feature. That feature, it was a, it was, uh, you know how ergonomic chair, uh, ergonomic chairs do this thing where they, yeah, Yeah, exactly, where I I I basically want a pillar, uh, supporting my back. I don't want this lumbar crap and I don't want that, that thing where the back, uh, basically curves backwards. I, I don't know how to explain it. it. Go listen to that episode of, of Quarantine Chronicles where I complained about
0: chairs yeah. for like 30 minutes. <laughs> that doesn't and entice folks what, to check out mean. Quarantine Chronicles if they haven't yet. I don't know what. Yeah, world. exactly. So. But yeah, well, um, Kevin, give me the dig through your order history, and we'll put the name of the little clip on for anyone who's interested on the blog post. Yeah, hold on, let me well, keep vamp while I bring up while I bring up my Amazon list. <laughs> okay, um, but yeah, is there anything else you guys want to touch on with Monster Hunter, or should we jump to what I've been playing while you guys were busy? with The
1: Fixture that? S1, uh, mm-hmm. they claim is the original Pro Controller clip mount for the Nintendo Switch. The original, the OG. Yeah.
0: Oh, it was a way more expensive than I thought. It was thirty five dollars. That's still half a Joy-Con, so, you know. Yeah. It's funny, sure. though, that you made the comparison. Like, remember the second-screen experience of PS3 and 360 or PS4 and whatever? The thing I... When you sent that photo, I immediately thought of those X Cloud, like, Game Pass, Microsoft Game Pass, like, clips they make so you can play, like, Halo on your phone using a real controller or whatever. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. That, but, yeah that's, that's, that's the thing a, that, that jumped to That's absolutely what this is. So anything else you guys want to mention about Monster Hunter, or should we move uh, on to our next game?
2: think much I thought of, like, I mean... Clearly, I'm in love with this game. Um, I think I wouldn't really recommend it if you have a... Because <laughs> it's a group of people to play with. Um, There are people that I know uh-huh. that can really enjoy this game on their own, but other than that person in particular, because I know they're a really, 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 really huge fan. Masochist. Um, Masochist. I don't know anyone else that enjoys playing this <laughs> like, on their own. I mean, randoms can be fun sometimes, Um, but that mileage may also vary because I guess one important thing to mention is that if you get KO'd three times by a monster, the hunt is over. And if you're playing with three randoms and there's someone that's just kind of being reckless and gets himself killed three times and you know, everyone else is doing fine. Then, you know, that kind of abruptly ends the game and it's kind of annoying. But in my experience so far, even with a private room that I set a passcode for and where my brother and I were hunting, um Two Japanese players managed to figure out the password. I guess they were just going to different rooms and just pressing whatever numbers. But they brute forced well, yeah. your private uh, it room. It wasn't the craziest password either. That's what? not. Oh, um, okay. It's it probably like sixty-nine four. No, it, it was it was two 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 three. So <laughs> not the hardest thing to figure out.
0: But still, they had to sit there and go two 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 one. Maybe two, two, they two, two, got it right two, 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 away. Two, two, I'm guessing they yeah, were like both they friends there, and
2: maybe one just told the other. Cause they joined at, like, around the same time. But, yeah. Fun game. Um, there was a demo out, but I doubt the demo's out anymore. I was just like, otherwise try that out. No, it's oh, still yeah. there. It's, it's still there. You know, at least, like, so you get a view for the mechanics, and then, and you just see, I mean, yeah, you can also hunt with people in that one, so.
0: At least other demo users, so. It, yeah. It sounds like to the multiplayer point, they need to make, like, some sort of, like, Monster Hunter Rise, like, matchmaking data dating app or something i mean there are the games shipped 5 million copies already in like 10 days which is i think a little slower than world yeah. but that was on two platforms and this is on one so you know it's doing pretty well for itself but like there's people out there you just need to find them and hope they don't brute force in and actually will communicate with you based on what you guys are saying yep yeah exactly com. there you go um but yeah, it's alright. Um, while you guys are busy with Monster Hunter, I was checking out two other games. Uh, the first of which was the crossplay beta for Knockout City, which, as a reminder for those um, out of the loop, this is what amounts to Splatoon Dodgeball, but by EA and Valon Studios, who also, in case you forgot, is the studio that A, was behind uh, Mario Kart Live Home Circuit, and B, was founded by the original guys behind Vicarious Visions, who did everything from, you know, getting Tony Hawk onto Game Boy Advance back in the day to figuring out how to do Guitar Hero on DS. So they they know how to make things work, make mechanics work, and do it in a kind of Nintendo-y way. Um, but yeah, I didn't make that Splatoon dodgeball analogy lightly. Like, in the end, it really is basically Splatoon dodgeball. Like, both of these games are ultimately third-person, squad-based shooters, skinned to be, you know, not... That. So Splatoon obviously has the painting mechanic with the shooter under it. Here it's Dodgeball. Uh, Splatoon Sang is, you know, very heavily influenced by Tokyo Shibuya and Akihabara and even a little bit of, uh, Rapungi. Uh, Knockout City is sort of like 1950s New York with some like added neon. It's like an extra glowy, like western space or, or you... Oh, Rapungi's, <laughs> you... yeah, you guys went to a nightclub in Rapungi,
1: yep. didn't you? That was, uh, yeah, Hills uh some nice. very interesting folks that I met at that place.
0: But that nightclub. That, that Uh, nightclub. <laughs> uh yeah, Rapungis. It, it's funny because like Akihabara and Shibuya, I feel like are always the ones that are like, oh, those are like the crazy districts. And Rapungi's like kind of the like calmer one, supposedly, but not really. Um but yeah, Knockout Say by comparison um is kind of like a nineteen fifties New York. Um like I say, it's kind of like a West Side story or Grease vibe. And then you know, both games the the parallels are all over because like both games have stylized people with like sharp edged eyes and a focus on very distinct hair, like it's, Platoon obviously has the squidish hair. Knockout City is all about pompadours and like jean jackets and and leather jackets. Uh, and you know both sets of characters could be customized to the nth degree from the face to the clothes to the accessories. Like even the way that Platoon has its focus on music and Callie and Marie is uh, sort of your like em- MCs of the game. Knockout City has this bootleg pirate radio announcer guy who makes quips and really he sounds like a holdover of the attitude and personality of like the EA big uh, brand back in like the early two thousands. Which like speaking of, like we really need a new SSX at some point. I don't know if I'm the only one that feels this way, but like I'd happily take SSX tricky in this in the vein of Tony Hawk one and two, where it's just like an H D remake. Like But that I digress. That's not the point. My point is, in terms of inspiration, um, Knockout City certainly wears its heart on its sleeve. Um but what's actually kind of interesting is once you start to play it, at least from what I sensed from my time with the crossplay beta, um, what what I noticed is that it's also borrowing a bit from ARMS, of all games. Because, like, the thing about Knockout City, or really just dodgeball, I guess, if you think about it, is that it makes for a much more, um, like, far-range experience than Splatoon. Like, sure, Splatoon has different weapons with different ranges, but Knockout City kind of reminded me of ARMS and that, ultimately, this is a game of reading when to attack and account and uh, counter people from a distance. Like, ARMS had whatever ARMS you wanted to equip, but at the end of the day, it was rock, paper, scissors you played with an opponent from a set range. And here, it's sort of similar. You throw the ball, but just as important as throwing the ball is anticipating when your opponent's going to throw the ball, because then you can click a shoulder button and grab the ball and catch it and then lob it back at them on your terms. So it kind of has that same sort of like back and forth that ARMS did in a way. And um, what's also kind of remind me of ARMS in it is one of the things that drives the biggest amount of variance in the gameplay are items that pop up in the match. So in arms, they spawn kind of like Mario Kart, you know, mid-race and it may be, th- or in mid-fight, and it may be things like you get an HP juice one time or a minute later, there's a bomb of some sort. Um, for knockout Say, what they do is there's one special ball type that's assigned at the start of each match and is designated spots that can appear within the map. And the two I encountered in the beta was a bomb ball and a cage ball. Uh, the bomb ball, I think, is self-explanatory. You know, explodes, the boss cause more damage. But the cage balls are very interesting because with this, uh, what you actually do is trap your opponent inside the dodge ball, which means they're now throwable either across the stage or to you know to get out of your hair or uh, if you want to hit an opponent with them, you can. Or literally, what I saw a lot of people doing is they would throw people in cage balls off the stage entirely for an instant kill. So in a way, your strategy can vary going into the match depending on the ball you end up with at the start of the match which i imagine will be more true when additional balls are introduced in the final game next month like there's also a moon ball that reverses gravity that i didn't experience and you know that's just three out of however many they're going to cook up Um, but to that point about the beta and what's gonna be in the final game what left me most curious from the beta is just in general like how deep the strategies can go in the final game because um actually let me let me back up a second here. I should explain the basic premise. So the basic premise of the game is you're two squads of three people and you're throwing dodgeballs at each other in various environments. So like Mario Kart or Smash Bros or even, you know, something IRL like mini golf. Uh, these environments have their own obstacles and objects that can hurt or help you. There's a rooftop with wind currents that can carry you when you jump and trigger uh, your hand glider, which, yes, every dodgeball player in this game has their own hand glider that can be triggered with the press of the B button, so you can use that to ride the currents. Uh, there's a construction site with a huge wrecking ball that'll knock you across the stage. There's a sort of downtown like city Plaza with cars and you dodges as you fight, you know, et cetera, et cetera, that sort of thing. Um, so in my dabbling with all this during the beta weekend, um, which I maybe played on know, 90 minutes, two hours somewhere in there, uh, what became apparent to me is that um, there are all these surface level mechanics and more random aspects. But there's also something deeper. Like on the surface, this is a party game. It's just sort of a wacky multiplayer experience. It's really quickly apparent that this could be a lot of fun just as a party game. You got your random item, you got your unique stage designs, all that good stuff. But then there is this second layer that I'm very curious to see how it will play out. Like almost the meta, if you will. Like one one thing I saw other teams doing was really relying heavily on passing and, co- and coordinating their ball handling. And I was playing by myself, and the game does provide some one button emotes to encourage a teammate to pass for you and whatnot. Uh but I was definitely playing in kind of a more isolated way. Like it kinda of was like, you know, when you play Smash Bros. online and you're in a team match with a stranger where you're you're both together but you're kind of really just playing in parallel. Uh that's kinda of what this felt like. So what I'm really curious to see when the full game's out is just how much team coordination can expand the experience into something that maybe is more deeper. Like it it, it feels like the hooks are there. Um, the fact that there are already like multiple types of jump. There's the double jump. There's the hang glider. You know, the array means you can theoretically coordinate with folks attacking from the ground and diving in from above simultaneously and sort of surround a team. Uh, the fact that passing is such an entire aspect I barely touched feels like it opens the door to all sorts of like different plays where you could surround players or a team and sort of pin them until... They're out of hearts, which uh, that's the other thing about this game is it's not one-hit KO. In the standard KO mode, it actually takes two hits to get a kill. So you do need to think beyond just, I'm going to throw the ball and see what happens. You need to kind of have a secondary move at the ready. And uh, I haven't even touched on the fact that you yourself can turn into a ball by choice, kind of like Samus' morph ball, uh, and you can roll around and use it to navigate entire spaces, but more the point, you can become the ball for another team member. So in the same way the cage ball can be used by your opponents to hurt you in ball form, you can encourage with an emote or via voice chat a player to pick you up and throw you and again i think like the devs at valon have some baked in deeper mechanics here that are a bit more than meets the eye and could possibly be explored in some interesting way in the full game once people like get the feel for it and the hang of it and i think that's kind of my big takeaway really with the beta weekend was there's a decent you know number of squad based third person games on Switch right but of the ones that try the best to fit the mold of Splatoon sort of capture that Nintendo feel of like pick up and play ease and, and accessibility but also maybe deeper mechanics I feel like Knockout City is poised to do it best at the moment at least from what I've seen certainly more so than something like Ninjala which you know to be fair it found its audience but it doesn't have that deeper team coordination or strategy as Splatoon does it's just the surface level half of Splatoon but Knockout City seems to have the design elements in place that suggest it could check the box of something deeper, which, you know, really points to whether game is a longevity or any real meat on the bone. Um, even the fact that when I played it, I was only playing one variation of the gameplay, to me that's a positive sign. There's a whole other mode that was in the beta I didn't get to try, um, called Diamond Dash, where the team with the most diamonds collected wins, which in of itself encourages you to stay very close together, because if your teammate or opponent dies, you uh, they drop diamonds, and you can pick them up, so you kind of want to move as like a pod. Um, and there's other modes besides these two so I'm really just, I guess at this point, just kind of excited to see the full product and to, like, play it with friends, with voice chat, not with online randos, like, to really see how deep it goes. Um I think coming out of the beta, you know, when Nintendo showed it in the direct, everyone was a little confused. And then I know we talked about it on the show a few episodes ago. And we were like, okay, yeah, maybe there's some potential here. But coming out of the beta, I felt very optimistic about the final release next month. And considering there's a free demo planned, I think, and the game's, like, a one-time 20 buck purchase, no, you know, in-game monetization or anything, like I don't think it's necessarily that high of a barrier of entry where I wouldn't encourage anyone to give it a shot. Like I think there's enough here that you'll have fun with it. Certainly, this is one well, of those games that's going to live or die based on its player base size, but it's encouraging that like there's so much here in the demo to see already, mm-hmm. and there's already over a million people that downloaded that beta. So that means at least there's some interest there, right? Like The fact that, it, that there's a million people playing it it's cross-play from day one. I think that's a pretty savvy move on EA's part. You know, the Switch version already has performance and quality modes built in right off the bat in the beta. So we don't have a situation like Fortnite where there's siloed audiences. They're trying to get everyone together, get as big of a player base as possible. Um, so yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd recommend keeping it on your radar. It seems like there's actually some real interesting potential inside this thing. Um, the question will be, of course, you know, how does it execute? But based on the... Like, lighter fare, like the party game side, it's really fun. And if there's something deeper, that remains to be seen. But I'm, I'm pretty optimistic it's, about it. it. It's, it's, um, so, yeah, that's how not did, How city. did it run? It ran... So, the performance mode was... Um, I Actually, did I play it in handheld at eight point? I played it on, on docked, and I think it was at 30 frames, but it was fine. Um, I don't remember if I did handheld, to be honest with you. Gotcha. And, you know, honestly, docked might have been... I think the performance is 60, but lesser graphics and quality is higher graphics but you know obviously worse performance Um but yeah it was fine I had no issues it is the character movement is a bit like stiff kind of and there's you could debate whether it's a good art style or not like I'm kind of indifferent towards it like I see what they're doing but like whatever but the gameplay was pretty fun much to my surprise I thought it would be kind of a level of well I, I didn't think it would but I had concerns it could end up being a level of kind of like overly simple but I, I enjoyed it um, what about the cost? yeah it's only like 20 bucks when it comes out Oh, okay. One time price, yeah. So it's not too bad, nice. um, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, it's one of those things that I think, like I was saying, I think they're going to do a free demo in May along with the launch. So I would say, you know, at least for like our game night we do, it might be worth just trying it and seeing if there's enough strategy there for us to chew on or not. But I, every sign points to there actually being some, which is really encouraging. Um. So yeah, that that's Knockout City, I guess. Uh, something to keep on your radar. That you know, I don't think many people Definitely did on actually. the radar for sure. Yeah the uh, the other game. I was playing is one that I had no idea would take over my life these past few days because it literally didn't exist until I don't know when was it announced Wednesday um, and that's Pac-Man 99 and when I say take over my life I mean like literally it delayed on two separate nights multiple hours dinner got like making dinner got delayed to a point like you know much to my girlfriend's chagrin but like two separate nights I was like playing this for like hours at a time and there's only been three nights since it came out as it was recording so clearly it's gone it's uh, hooks in me but anyway yes Pac-Man 99, surprise announcement and release by Nintendo and Bandai Namco uh, that very, very closely falls in the footsteps of Tetris 99, most notably in the fact that the base game, the Online Battle Royale, where you play Pac-Man with 90 other people simultaneously, is a free-to-play experience for all Switch Online subscribers, which means I have it, you guys have it, lots of people listening have it. Did either of you try it, and what would you think if you did?
2: Um, I had a few opportunities to try it. Um, not as many as it sounds like
0: you did, Um,
2: yeah, I have a the problem. First, the very first time <laughs> I played it, um, the very first time I tried it, I I guess I, do, I didn't really pay attention to the announcement of it. I just knew it was out. So I literally, I was really confused as like how the game, the gameplay loop worked because mm-hmm. I honestly didn't even see the fruit in the middle. So I just like cleared the board. I'm all like, what, is, what am I supposed to do? And I was like, do I just survive until the game ends? And then eventually I realized like, oh, when you grab the fruit, it resets the board depending on the fruit or the item, it's like a different state of it. And then I started like figuring out like, oh, okay. So I kind of want to stay in like a perpetual like state of always like powered up and reset it mm-hmm. and get rid of the red Pac-Man, blah, blah, blah. And yeah, definitely. I could definitely see myself playing this one a lot more than Tetris 99. I didn't get a Pac-Man win yet, but I did get a good number of second places. Mainly too. at the end, I'll either, I'll either like, and it's always sad because like when I, you know like by the end of it or when you're like in the last 10 you're not even paying attention to how many left you are left here at that point you're just like trying to survive but yeah. sometimes like a red peppermint will literally spawn right in front of me and that'll just be it or yeah like it, it feels like I feel like I have to get lucky to just get that first place because at that point you know it's just chaos at some points
0: there there yeah. is a level of yeah, that sounds... with Tetris 99 too though where like it depends somewhat on the blocks you get in the end like you can always figure out a spot if you're good at Tetris but sometimes the game just screws you like that's it's like the randomization it. But um, Kevin, did you try it at all?
1: Uh, no, I haven't tried it. Uh, quick question: This mm, this okay. essentially replaced Mario 35, right?
0: Seemingly, yes, it seems to have. But it um, this one's permanent. They have uh, you can actually buy the thing with additional content, so it's not going anywhere. Mario was all free and limited. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. So this is an actual like yeah like augmentation of the lineup versus just like a swap out thing, right? Yeah. Um, but and it is funny very because at the very beginning I, they offered the the purchasable. Upgrade, yes, they did. Which is interesting. Yeah, and it, it, it's interesting because like soon? yeah, it's um. I just say it's funny because you know talk about the gameplay that you're just going in the gameplay loop. I feel like in a way this game is almost more of a Pac-Man Championship Edition '99 than like original Pac-Man. I mean, certainly the aesthetic is OG like original Pac-Man but the game puts a huge emphasis on that ghost train idea that is so central to Pac-Man Championship Edition and I think it's been like a year since I talked about Championship Edition here on the podcast but just as kind of a reminder it's a version of Pac-Man that really ramps up the frenzy feeling because there's combos to be made by collecting more ghosts at once and the and the bigger the number of ghosts you string together the flashier more like oomph the experience has and i feel like pac-man 99 pretty much took that mechanic ripped it out of championship edition derezzed it and made it the centerpiece of like how its entire battle royale system works and um you sort of touched on some of the stuff like the red pac-man and all that but to explain it a bit for those who haven't played it maybe kevin uh Here's how Pac-Man 99 works, like just kind of top-down. So you you start on a standard Pac-Man board, uh, as does every one of your 98 opponents, and each time you get a ghost, it sends what's called a jammer Pac-Man, which is like a little white silhouette of Pac-Man, to a targeted opponent's screen that will slow them down if they try and pass over it with normal Pac-Man. And like with Tetris 99, you can choose, uh, I think it's yeah, the right stick, you can choose if you want to... Uh, target people who are already targeting you, target people who are maybe on the verge of losing, uh, the strongest opponent, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but since Pac-Man doesn't offer a way to send... Ghosts in bulk, like you can do with garbage blocks by clearing multiple lines in Tetris, they brought over that ghost train idea I was just talking about. So essentially, like on the left and right of the maze are these two vertical rows of what are called sleeping ghosts. And as soon as you roll over them with Pac-Man, they automatically fly to the nearest normal ghost and become a train, which is basically like a snake of ghosts. And the longer the train uh, gets, the more ghosts you'll overwhelm your opponent with should you then munch through them all while on a power pellet. So uh this is obviously where things get a little more interesting because uh, there's now a cycle to this, which Angel, you sort of already touched on. But for those who haven't tried it, um basically what you have here is um this potentially infinite Pac-Man gameplay uh where they had to figure out a way to get the power pellets to come back and to have the ghosts keep respawning. So what the developers did was implement a system where eating enough pellets will spawn a piece of fruit you can eat like in normal Pac-Man. And eating that fruit will not only restore all four power pots in the four corners of the maze, which obviously you to eat the ghosts, but also the two vertical rows of sleeping ghosts. And it's these extra sleeping ghosts that can be uh, spawned, whether or not you clear out the existing ghost train, that then sort of keep the machine moving. Like, theoretically, you can stack them together over and over to create an absolutely massive train to combo your opponent into oblivion. Um, you know, much like in Tetris 99, you can have your stack of blocks super high only to then clear them all at once with a very well timed, you know, vertical line block or whatever, whatever your strategy may be. Um but it's that sort of dynamic of well, how big of a combo do you make of the ghosts? How do you munch through them? What do you what are opponents doing to you? That's sort of the gameplay loop. And at least I don't know about you, Angel, for me in Pac-Man 99, I actually found myself doing kind of figure eight, where I would summon and munch through the two ghost trains with as many power pellets as I needed, and then I would immediately respond uh, the the sleeping ghost and do the ghost train down. Like I never let them build beyond what was in the sleeping ghost train initially. I would only do what was on screen and refresh and do it again. Versus, I saw some people like you know out of my eye doing like these huge trains of like clearly they did like three or four laps of power pellets before they went to the train. Um, did you find yourself just doing like the quickest way out, or were you doing more like strategic? Let me see uh, how big I the, can do. The
2: the strategy that consistently got me to second place or like at least top five every time. Would mm-hmm. pretty much just be collect clear the entire board without consuming the ghost train at least twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, clear the whole board, ignore the ghost train, refresh the board, and then get all the sleeping ghosts. And then once you do, essentially collect four rows of sleeping ghosts, then you go after it. Then you refresh the board and just kind of rinse and repeat until, I guess, your speed level is at least at four. And then at that point, it's pretty much just pure survival mode. Just go from corner to corner to just go from pellet to pellet to pellet until you see the fruit, then immediately go for the fruit and just kind of rinse mm. and repeat. Cause at that point, like the white goats are populating so fast that you want to get rid of them as soon as possible with the power pellet. And then you also want to get that fruit as soon as possible while the red ones are still stationary because you know, they don't move while you have the power pellet on. They're just kind of blocking right. roads and right. they can like, trap you very easily if you're not
0: careful and that's, and, pretty, and, that's pretty much what I do and that and that's what's kind of nice about this I think is this is where like Pac-Man 99 shines versus Nintendo's other attempt at reapplying the Battle Royale formula with Mario 35 which is there are multiple ways to tackle this and like clearly we both got to second on our own with our different strategies and they both work equally and it's doing this all with also an element of chance and I, th- I think that's the thing because here's the thing at least for me when Mario 35 first released, I loved it. I raved about it on the show, but it got old very quickly. Like once you figured out the patterns, like you never win, stop playing it. No, I I did the world challenge as a hope of kind of sparking it again, but I pretty much dropped it. Or, um, Mario, but you Tetris, got every
2: playing. single background.
0: I did not. That was Tetris. Oh which is a different story. Oh, touch it. Wait, what are you talking yeah, about? Yeah, no, no. So I'm saying Mario 35. Yeah, so Super Mario 35, 35. Oh, the that thing, one,
2: I don't know. I don't really care yeah, one. One, it. Yeah, but it like shows, like, it's really d- designed for that.
0: Exactly, that's not getting it. Yeah, because once you figure out the pattern to win, that was it. And I think a big part of why that was it – like that stems from the fact that Mario 35 was making a battle royale have a linear experience, like a game where you have a point A and you need to reach a point B and nothing really in between can change that. So like sure, you can launch some of those gray goombas or whatever into an opponent's screen to slow down their progress and the game can have you looping through the same level over and over as you do, but ultimately, like, you're still just trying to get from point A to B. It's not like someone got a blooper in World 1-1 on your screen, and you suddenly need to go left. You still could only move right. So, like, you just, you know what I mean? Like, it. okay, you can jump on it, or you can use a fire, Cool. But at the end of the day, you're still moving right. So over time, what became apparent to me is that it, it was like I don't know if I to even call it this, but it was basically an artificial gameplay loop they made. Like they put more obstacles in an existing path and they're like, see, Battle Royale, that's it. And they just like, well if we loop it, it's a gameplay loop. But where I think like Pac-Man ninety nine differentiate differentiates from that and feels more akin to Tetris ninety nine, I think it's why it's resonating with us both, is You're taking a game that does not have a single linear course. You're taking a game that already requires split-second decisions for different paths and moves and just adding layers on top of that to force players to make more choices in more and more of a frenzied state. Like I tweeted the other day uh, that I, I like would never, basically I've never gripped a controller as tightly as I have with Pac-Man '99. Like literally, there's a mark in my thumb from the Joy-Con, and um, pathetic. And I think it's like you know because things can change in a millisecond in Pac-Man '99. Like we talked about the jammer Pac-Man, right? They can hoard you as you need to get a power pellet, it goes right on your tail, and you gotta make that split second choice of where to place yourself to get out. It's pretty much the same as you know the, your blocks are almost at the entire top of the screen where you put that last Detrimino to, to save yourself in Tetris Nine, And it's not its not just like the one layer that we've talked about so far. I mean, you've already alluded, there's this whole other red jammer Pac-Man thing, and these guys are insta-killers if you touch them, and they can be stationary, they can move, they can um, you know end up in the most inconvenient place blocking a pellet, blo- uh, blocking a sleeping ghost you need, and the only way to get rid of them is to reset the board by grabbing a piece of fruit, which is different than the normal jammers, where you have to eat a power pellet, and then they go away. They're easier to deal with. And, you know, never mind the fact that also, unlike Tetris 99 or Mario 35, there's a separate set of power-up moves you can give yourself with the left stick to boost your speed, your strength, the train. Like, frankly, even pouring as much time as I did into the game, I still don't know how to best utilize those. I still, until you said it a second ago, didn't realize what made a red jammer Pac-Man move or not move. I guess it's if you have a power pellet or not. But there's, like... There's just a lot more to account for here than there was in Mario 35. Yeah, the power while, also. Yeah.
2: I ended up just sticking to speed. Um, I tested all the other ones out because they only trigger whenever you have the power pellet on. Mm-hmm. And you know, standard just does
0: nothing. Um, did you go over them? No, I, I didn't go over. It. I just rattled them off. Oh. But yeah, if you all touch on them.
2: But yeah. Um, train. I don't really understand it. <laughs> I read the description. Yeah. I'm like, I still don't know what this does. Um, power. Apparently, whenever you eat a ghost, it. For every ghost you eat, it sends two ghosts to your opponent, but it also gives one to you, mm-hmm. and it also decreases how long your your power pellet mode stays on. Because you know you're in theory like you know doubling how much damage you're dealing, but yeah, speed. Just having the speed one on, even though it says it makes you a little weaker, I never really saw how that translates much into gameplay. Because you know everything is a one hit kill anyway. Yeah. But, um, you know, just having the speed on and whenever you have the power pellet just allows me to get from pellet to pellet, I guess, without losing any time in between. And, you know, it also lets you, like, outrun those Pac-Man ghosts or the the Shadow Pac-Man. I keep forgetting what yeah. they're called, even though we keep saying um, it over the, and over again. The
0: Jammer. Jammer. Jammer Pac-Man. Yeah,
2: jammer Pac-Man. The... Yeah, yeah um, But I think
0: to, to your point, like we're sitting here like speculating, well, what does this one do, what does that, that one do? Like Tetris was just straight up Tetris. Mario 35 was Mario, but random enemies appear. Like, this one is admittedly more complicated to understand, but I feel like overall it makes it just a more rewarding experience than Mario 35 was. Like it adds a lot of the variability and thinking on your feet of Tetris 99 that Mario 35 simply didn't. Require from a player in the longer term, like in the first playthrough, in the first week, maybe, but like by month three, you know, it was always the same thing here. Even if you understand all these mechanics, there's so many mechanics at play. Like, what if your opponent's doing double ghosts, what if this? What if that? You know, it it, it will always be a slightly different experience, which is what's really cool about it. I think um, the lack of linearity really helped it. Um, where I think, yeah. and we kind of touched on that. Or sorry, Regis? Oh no, I'm just agreeing. Sure. Oh yeah. Um, where where I think it perhaps falls a bit short, Pac-Man 99, is what we sort of touched on, which is if you choose to buy the full package at $30 MSRP, um, you get – Everything. Now, granted, it is a lot of stuff. You get a CPU battle mode, the ability to have private matches, a score attack mode, a time attack mode, an ape Pac-Man mode. I don't even know what that is. But the, but the one that jumps out to me is you also get 20 custom Namco skins. And these are in a cool way, like the Namco version of the Nintendo Maximus Cup themes in Tetris 99, the ones that Angel, as you pointed out, I have all of and plan to continue to have all of as they roll out more. But uh, here, it's everything from Galga to Dig Dug to Rolling Thunder to some really obscure ones like Bravo Man. I don't even know what that is from Namco history. But um, yeah, you have to buy them. If you want one or two, they're 2 they are 2 bucks a pop. If you want all of them plus the other modes, it's 30 bucks. You can just get the modes for 15 with none of the skins. But in all this talk about gameplay, gameplay loops, it to me is a little disappointing to see that for everything Pac-Man 99 does right with mirroring the Tetris 99 experience, they chose not to make the skins unlockable through gameplay, or at least not these core 20. Maybe there are more coming. But maybe that was Namco Bandai's call, maybe Nintendo is still experimenting with best approaches for this formula, but I think what works so well for Tetris in particular is they had the varied gameplay and the in-game events and the unlockables, and they're like multiple hooks that all kind of interwove with one another. And Mario 35 tried with just the event hook, right? Like I did talk about in January or something, the world challenges and they had themed weekends and stuff like that. And I mean, I guess it kind of worked. Like I enjoyed the world challenge. It gave me some mind and tail coins, but I distinctly remember I'm like you guys go try it. And both of you were just like, nope. <laughs> so clearly it wasn't enough of a hook to, you know, get everyone to boot the game back up. And now we have like the opposite with Pac-Man 99 where there's a better core gameplay hook, but not the longer term recurring reasons to come back if you lapse. So it's going to be interesting to see you know, what this means for the player base over a longer period of time. It being free on Switch Online, I suspect it will keep a certain degree of people engaged because as more people sign up, uh, there's just going to be more people trying it out. Uh, but this sort of breaking apart of what makes Tetris 99 works uh, – I mean work, not works – but what makes it work, it's it's – it makes me wonder what Nintendo's, like, Like, what are they? They're clearly looking for some takeaways as they continue to expand out this idea in engine, so I'm kind of curious, like, where it goes and how Pac-Man 99's, like, shelf life is compared to Tetris 99, which is still active two-plus years later, um, in terms of, like, a good player base, you don't have to wait long to connect and that sort of thing. Um, I So, yeah, that, that's kind of weird to me that they didn't do any of the unlockables in the same way. I don't even think there's, like, avatars or little player icons you can unlock. You level up, but it doesn't seem to do anything, unlike in Tetris and even Mario. I don't know. I so mean, I just it, see it's different missing a loop. icons on the people on the leaderboard, so they must be. I don't remember getting, somewhere. but like when you level up, I don't remember getting an alert saying, "Hey, you got more icons." I'm they're there somewhere, but it's not like that. The like deeper loop is not as clear as in the other games. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping to get some good takeaways here. I mean. It was last episode where I was saying I think it's cool to see other franchises do Tetris 99 or an equivalent with Battle Royales. And you know at the time, I was talking about Super Barman R Online, and frankly, Pac-Man wasn't even on my radar at all because Namco already did a Battle Royale Pac-Man on Stadia with uh, mega tunnel Battle. That was called? Super Tunnel Battle? Something like that. But that was different because that was one giant interconnected maze for 64 players. And this is obviously the Tetris approach. And also, like, how weird is it that I just name-dropped two first-party, like, Stadia, or not first-party, but Stadia first games in a single show? Who thought that would ever happen? And, of course, it only happens after they shut down Stadia. But, but yeah, I don't know. Like, is there other games you think might do well with the 99 treatment? Kingdom Hearts 99, baby, let's go. <laughs> just, like, endless battles with yep, various and that's all that series
2: is, is at this people. point
1: anyway, so might as well give it to me. Give it to me, Nomura. <laughs>
0: I mean, it, see- it seems like that's the thing, is anything that can be done endlessly and have variability could work. Like, I feel like even WarioWare or, like, Rhythm Heaven could work in a way. I don't There's know what the thing is. would be it would Battle be. Battle like, Royale game coming out, so. Right, and that's basically, you're doing constant battles until the last person's alive, right? No idea.
2: not much I could think of, especially for Nintendo properties, but, I mean, having mean think Pac-Man, it's like, I just think Snake, you know? Mm. Freaking Snake. But, um... Yeah, I, I don't think that, we have to lend uh,
0: ourselves to Nintendo, though.
2: Honestly, um, and one that my brother mentioned the other day that I thought was Oh, handy. Billy they, Hatcher 99. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be so cool. To, you just roll think, eggs, think at each think other think of how many eggs there,
0: there'd be on screen at least 99. It would basically be at least, yeah. It, it would, it would, you just want to, you just want the switch to overheat, huh? You just want to cook some eggs. I mean, but what are you gonna say, Angel? Oh,
2: well, coincidentally, another Sega thing, um. If they did like an infinite version or a you know just a battle royale version of that endless tunnel running thing from Sonic Two, like I feel like there's definitely a way like because you know you're collecting rings, Mm. you're dodging those like spiky obstacles, and Mm -hmm. the speed just keeps getting faster and faster and faster. So I would like to see like some kind of like an endless runner battle royale of sorts where you know maybe you keep throwing obstacles at your opponent, which is kind of in the same vein as this. But
0: Yeah, and 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 by that token, if Nintendo want to do something like that, they could turn it 2D again and do like Excite Bike in a way. It runs the risk maybe of being a little too linear like Mario, because there's only so many things you could do to change Excite Bike track, but potentially. Um but yeah, I don't think uh to your point about like you both mentioning Sega and and Square, I don't think we need to limit ourselves to Nintendo at all. I mean obviously and whoever Pac-Man made isn't, Snake. Um and whoever made Snake, Nokia? I don't know. But uh yeah, like Pac-Man clearly is some sort of collaboration because it's it's Identical to Tetris 99, Mario 35 and menus and style and everything. But like the engine that's powering all this is something called the Nintendo Bezel Engine. And it's apparently, I was researching it a little because I saw the logo on the the eShop. It's apparently one of the few, if not only, engines and middleware that Nintendo makes and actually licenses out to third parties. And Nintendo uses it themselves too. So like Clubhouse Games is apparently built on this. Um, The really wild one is Super Mario Party is built on this engine somehow. Um but there's also a couple third party games that have used it, including some indie game called Room in the Night Sky. And I'm just thinking like if the tech's there and the engine exists and you know Nintendo could just provide the assets for the menus if they want to keep it really like it, it there's so many options for for like any company to hop GDR on. GDR ninety nine. Um oh god, people would like die. <laughs> literally die. I mean literally <laughs> Well not. that's the that's the until they collapse. Ring fit ninety nine. <laughs> oh god. Um well, yeah, one I one I honestly can't see happening, though, which is funny because this is the one that a lot of people were speculating about. I don't see Donkey Kong 40 happening. Like, I remember when Mario 35 was starting to, you know, it was announced they're going to sunset. I was like, oh, well, they're going to do a Donkey Kong one for the fourth anniversary. 40 players all going up the tower. And, like, sure, I guess you could throw in extra barrels that someone has to jump over, extra fire they have to dodge. But, like, it's the Mario problem again. What would they then do? Just hop more? Like, use a hammer more? Like, there's not really a... Loop, you know, it's still a linear. It's just up instead of right. But I think like, well, I mean, there's looking, multiple. Lo-
2: I mean, it's the same four levels over and over again. I mean, I think you could make. I mean, you can make. But that's like the Mario work. problem
0: at that point. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think Frogger would probably be more interesting than Mario. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Kong.
0: I, I, I do think what like looking at Nintendo's IPs or beyond. Yeah, I think you know, like something like Ice Climber, I feel like would have some issues because again, it's point A to B. But Balloon Fight '99 could work. You know, there's ways they could do it. I think. What would be interesting, though, is for the games where there are limits. You know, like Zelda, for example. Some people are like, oh, Zelda would be cool. I guess in the overworld, yeah, you just have things happening in the overworld where you fight enemies. Because you do have the freedom of movement like Pac-Man. But ca- yeah, I feel like the way like it would work best to combine the most. What was
2: that? Think- I feel like a Zelda one would get old pretty fast.
0: Yeah, that's kind of the concern. But I think if they did, like, an NES Remix 99, like... If you are like in the way I was starting to say, maybe WarioWare could work. Like if you were cycling through a whole bunch of different things and they're randomized and they do different things and there is not a pattern to figure out, it that might I don't know. Like it would let them bring in a lot of games that maybe wouldn't work otherwise. Um, but I, I guess if you couldn't tell, really, what I'm getting at, I just really love the 99 series as a concept. Like I just think it's an incredibly clever way to reuse existing IPs and NES and maybe even eventually Super Nintendo and Genesis with your Sonic 2 thing, you know, to reuse that era of games in a way that actually feels fresh instead of just a pure re-release. Like, even Mario 35, you know, I was tearing it apart, like, oh, it wasn't good, I got tired of it. Like, it wasn't as good as these, but, like, at least it was something new for a while and different and fun for a moment. And I think Pac-Man and 99... No one misses it. Yeah, well, some people do. But um, I think Pac-Man 99 and Although How I remember exists, arguing... Although I remember arguing mm. against that initially when it was first announced. it's like, oh I'm kinda of mm-hmm. bummed that
2: it's only a time thing. But mm-hmm. then you know, it's like I, I never considered the fact that it's like a one and done thing. I don't know. It's but the how what sucks about it. that is like I people played it who... and then I
0: was yeah. You know. Yeah. The thing that sucks about that though is for people who did enjoy it at some deeper level, I don't know who they are or why they are how they are. But let's say they did, no offense to those people. Um they lost it. You know, like, for us, we're like, oh, we prefer the variability of Pac-Man or Tetris. But, like, for them, if they really loved it, it's gone, to your point. And I I feel like we switched sides of the argument because I was saying at the time, well, you know, it's like a special event. Like, you go to Comic-Con, there's a special thing for four days. Um, And I get that. But, like, I do kind of feel for those people who were into it because it is just vaporware. It just evaporated into thin air now. Like, you could still find Game & Watches. You could still find Mario 3D, All-Stars because they made physical things and they're still out there unsold. But you like Mario 35 is just gone. Um, But yeah, the existence of Pac-Man 99 and all these 99s and everything, it it gives me hope for some other things that I at least wanted out of Nintendo. I mean first of all, we can apparently will things into existence through this podcast because like I said, we talked last episode about other games doing a Tetris 99 Battle Royale approach and then literally 10 days later, Pac-Man 99. And it was also last episode… That we talked about the Switch 4K and premium features we may want. And I was saying how Bluetooth audio support would be cool. And guess what? There's a Switch firmware update that came on Monday. It was called 12.0 but had actually no features. Um, well, data miners dug through it and they found buried in the code references to Bluetooth audio support. Hey, welcome to the 21st century, Nintendo. Right, right. And maybe it's to prime it, the code for the 4K Switch. Maybe it's for the current Switch. They also found references to a new type of dock in there, probably for the 4K Switch. But see, you guys, if we just say things in our little podcast, someone at Nintendo hears it. Somehow they develop an entire game and feature in days and push it out between our episodes. It's really thoughtful. Really thoughtful. But but more seriously, um what... uh Pac-Man 99 demonstrated to me is that just because, you know, Nintendo Directs are back and stuff doesn't mean we can't still have the random news drops on Twitter. Those are not dead. And that – that is something I'm really happy about Uh, because I'll spare everyone a repeat of my rant from the last Nintendo Direct about what I consider the benefits of more frequent, smaller announcements, you know. More coverage per item, keeping fans engaged, all that good stuff. But it's nice to see that um, they did a direct, but then they also are still doing these kind of shadow drops because Tetris 99, 9 Mario 35, those were both part of fuller presentations. Those were indirects. This one just kind of – they tweeted out, and 24 hours later, we were all playing it. So that that's kind of nice to see. Um, that's not to say we aren't getting directs either. Uh, Nintendo seems to be juggling the two now, which is cool. And I'm about to uh, – I'm able to say that because for once – for the first time since the pandemic started Nintendo actually is telling us when to expect news and the answer is June uh, E3 ESA announced that E3 is a virtual show this year June 12th through 15th Nintendo's confirmed to be presenting and then Doug Bowser made a rare tweet where he actually um, confirmed they'll be there and look forward to showing stuff so there you go e 3s back what will it be? I'd, who knows but it's back it's uh, actually why well, I can tell you what it won't be do you guys see this controversy about uh, the ESA wanting to charge for E three? So was that ever confirmed, or was that the rumor? So, so Video Game Chronicle reported they're the ones that correctly got a whole lot of things right, including 3D All Stars existence. Um, they they have people that know things. It was never fully confirmed, but what they were reporting was that the ESA at one point was pitching publishers, "Hey, what if we charge forty dollars for access to play demos?" And the idea was they could maybe be streamed through NVIDIA's GeForce Now, so it would be cloud-based. Maybe that's for the press and consumers, maybe it's just for press that you know they didn't figure it out. But the idea was if you want access to the exclusive video stream from a live stage in LA where everyone's presenting together, if you want um the demos, you give us forty bucks, you get a pass, you play. The fact that the article went up and then the ESA very quickly denied it, opposed to just kind of letting it ride, suggests that there's enough weight behind it that it had some level of reality at one point or another. Because what what uh, VGC reported was a publisher told them that was a bad idea and they heard that this publisher was trying to shoot it down. And then the ESA came out and was like, whoa, ho, ho, it is a bad idea. We're not doing that. So, yeah. Because if it was like, you know, I don't think VGC would have run it if they didn't think it was legit. And I don't think the ESA would have knee-jerked so hard if it didn't have a element of truth to it. Because they could just let rumors lie until they properly announced things four days later, but they didn't. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting, cause like on one hand, I almost get it. Like on one hand, it's just, Hey, we, you pay $200 as a consumer to come to E3. Um, we're doing it virtually, but we still have like this exclusive access that you get. But the problem is you don't get anything actually exclusive. Like demos are for free on every platform video. You can stream on YouTube. Like there's no physical, like you go there, you see the booth. You only have access to that booth. There's no equivalent of like the virtual version of that, where it would make it worth the $40. Otherwise, you're just charging for things you could do for free on other platforms. So I get why it didn't work, but I could see where they were coming from. Um, the question now, of course, is what is E3 going to be? Because um, we, we, Nintendo's there. EA is not. Sony is not. Activision is not. Uh, so it's kind of this weird hodgepodge We could probably assume that Nintendo's going to have a Treehouse Live and Direct and maybe do their own separate thing from whatever that main stage is, but it's definitely going to be different this year, Um, especially when you consider that Summer Game Fest was also confirmed to be back this summer, and it is only going to be in the month of June. It's not going to be all year or all summer. Uh, It's not going to be as stretched out and painful as it was last time. Um, But what's interesting is that means Game Fest and E3 are overlapping and I'm kind of wondering if developers are going to use both or only use one. Like if they, you know, can they connect the two? Like they do a debut at E3 and then a deep dive a week or two later on summer game fest. And, and that gets tricky because like they're directly competing with one another. But last year, like game fest basically was a calendar. So is game fest, you know, for others individual events. So is game fest going to list E3? Like is game fest going to promote E3 even though Jeff Keighley and E3 now have bad blood and he's the game fest guy? Like I don't. It's weird. We've never had competing video game events. At I the same did time. not like so Game Fest. It's, it's something new. It was way too spread it was out. It's too long, right? Yeah, yeah, that too. And like yeah.
1: yeah, it was you know, E3 is this thing that takes place across three days. And you'll get some pretty mm-hmm. big announcements in the first two. But like you'll get compounded uh announcements. Not like Summer Game Fest where Ah, uh, you're going to get an announcement one week, and then next week you might get something? Nothing. Uh, or maybe next yeah. month you might get something. Um, I mean, I like the idea of I mean, it, literally. but it needs to be tweaked significantly.
0: Yeah, I mean, they are, like I said, they are streaming it down to a month, which is much better. But also E3 is now longer. Yeah, so, so E3's website says the media days are the 7th through the 11th, and then the actual show is the 12th through the 15th. 10th. So that's two weeks at that point for E3. <laughs> Which is just like obviously nothing public is in that first week, but still, like for a journalist, that's two weeks of e three on top of overlapping with four weeks of summer game fest. It's better, but it's still very stretched out, you know. What were you gonna say, Angel? I feel like I might have cut you off.
2: No, nothing. Just um, just it still feels like a lot. I don't know. I, I yeah, I, I um, I'm still, I'm used to. I mean, I like multi-day events, but I feel like after three days, I'm kind of over it. But I don't know. Just yeah, like I'm like, my, uh, Tuesday, Las Vegas, like so. it was last time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah so it's, it's like very fun. Yeah. After that, it's kind of like uh, I think I'm ready to go back. I think there's a Comic-Con reason go for a weekend. It's an exception, week. but I think any longer than what it is is already. Cause, you know, we go like Wednesday to
0: through Sunday.
2: Yeah, yeah. Sometimes we believe Tuesday night. Is that a thing? Or were we just... no? We believe Tuesday um, morning. I mean Wednesday we... morning.
0: We've done Wednesday morning.
2: Yeah, Wednesday. So I think morning. one year but, we yeah, did I, Tuesday night. Yeah. But, yeah, I think that's definitely the limit. Any if it was any longer, yeah, that, that's just way too much. But...
0: And I am curious to see, like, is Summer Game Fest actually going to be, like, more of a tangible, unified thing? Because last year, I mean, I joked this – I said this on Twitter as a joke, and Jeff Keighley liked it, so I guess there's an element of truth to it. But um, uh, he, I said, like, oh, it's just – Something like Jeff Keeley making the most elaborate like Google calendar for the industry or something like that. Like, that's how all Summer Game Fest was. Like every publisher is like, I'll do this thing this one week, and he's like, Cool, um, the calendar's free. I'll go ahead and add it. It's like he opened the like like multi you know who what people are available and just like made sure there was no like overlap and then just let them go. So this year I'm thinking maybe it'll be a little more actually structured, and that will probably make a huge difference. Even at a month, that'll make a huge difference in terms of it feeling more cohesive. I feel like versus just everyone willy-nilly doing what they want. But whatever whatever shape the news takes, like, for us, it's going to be a fun month of podcast. It's going to be a busy month, for sure. Um, but yeah, and of course, you know, between now and then, there's a whole lot of other stuff coming down the pipe. I mean, there's new Pokemon snapping in a couple of weeks, which I feel like kind of creeped up on us out of nowhere. Uh, Pikmin AR, I imagine we're going to learn about soon. Um, 4K Switch has to be revealed at some point. It might not be until August, who knows, but, like, that's brewing so, it, it, there is stuff, but yeah, June's gonna be intense. Oh, there's Nintendo's financials on May 6th. So yeah, there, there's stuff, but it, June's the biggie. Um, but yeah, well, uh, is there anything else you guys want to card this episode? That might be it. Cause the, right now the news cycle's kind of slow as everyone ramps up for all that.
2: Can't think of
1: anything. Mm, no, um, can't think of anything either.
2: Yeah. Monster Hunter and, um, Pac-Man have kind of been it. I mean, there's some other stuff yeah. that have been. Watching and doing, but that's more of a Quarantine Chronicles thing, like you know, checking out Invincible, which is a great
0: lead-in to everyone should tune back in next week because Quarantine Chronicles will return. We took last week off, but we're coming back, and we're gonna have, uh, I, I guess, Invincible. I know for sure we've all seen Godzilla versus Kong, uh, presumably other things too, but yeah, that that episode hits on the eighteenth, and then after that, on the twenty fifth, is our next round Nintendo with whatever other game news or impressions there are. It's weird because like we're in this sort of like waiting period for everything to kind of start. But yeah, to make sure no one misses that stuff, uh, follow us on Twitter at Ram Nintendo. Subscribe to us on the various apps. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, um, TuneIn, Stitcher. Uh, we're on YouTube at RamNintendo.com. I don't know why I said at. It's not on the URL. We're just RamNintendo.com. Uh, we... Uh, oh. Radio.com rebranded to Audacity and not to be confused with the editing software and I think we're on Audacity. Someone let us know if we actually are. Uh, But yeah, we're everywhere. So you can make sure you don't miss that. Um, You can follow us individually on social media. I'm JSR7. Angels, W-E-I-R-O underscore O, Wero. And Kevin is KVN Gomi. Yeah, I think that's it. Is that possible? possible. Just a lot of games. right. well, in that case, Kevin, final word. Uh, Genshin impact on
1: switch you cowards when is it coming